the friend of God. And then Jesus showed up, and he tells his disciples, you call me master. He's like, and that's right, but I call you friends. And then he said, greater love has no man than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. I want you to know that God looks down on you and I from his throne in eternity, and he looks at us in love. He looks at us, amen, not as enemies, but as friends, as those that he, if he could only do anything for us, he would come down to where we are and save us. Anybody ever had a good friend? Amen. Anybody ever had a good friend in your life where you knew that if you were down and out, you could call on him? I want you to know the Bible says that we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus. Why don't you lift up your hands one more time and worship him all across this building. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands unto him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn open to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Hallelujah. Amen. Summertime is coming down the home stretch. I know that's a unfortunate truth. Weather's already starting to change a little bit. People are getting their last little bit of vacation in, and I think that's all right. Amen. But I'm glad to be in the church with God's people. Hallelujah. Second Peter chapter 1, verse number 3. The Bible says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious, precious promises, that by these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, giving, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered or given unto you, abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. After all these things he listed, he said, an open door will be given to you into the everlasting kingdom. And I want to teach for a few moments on this subject, the culture of addition. The culture of addition. Would you set down your Bibles and let's lift up our hands and let's pray. Oh, come on. There is a powerful presence of God in this house already. And Lord, we are leaning on you. We are trusting in you. God, give us ears to hear. Amen. A heart to respond. Eyes to see the word of God. And you'd open up the scriptures to us. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Turn around, shake somebody's hand, greet them in the name of the Lord, and you may be seated. Hallelujah. The culture of addition. In our text here today, the Bible says that according to his divine power, speaking of Jesus Christ, he has given or added unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I want to tell somebody here tonight that whatever you need, God has already supplied it. Whatever you need, anything that pertains unto life. Amen. I know some people that think 
that God's not interested in their life. But I want you to know God's very interested in your life. In fact, Jesus said, I came to give life and life more abundantly. God is very, very interested, not just in giving eternal life, but God is looking to give us, amen, abundant life. And so the Bible says his divine power, it is through his divine power that God has given to us everything and he has added to us everything that pertains unto this life and godliness. The Bible says that, that it is through the things that he has added to us that God has called us. There is a great calling. Anytime that God adds to your life, he will always put a calling there. God will add to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, but he will not just add to us, amen, without a caveat there, where God will call us up to a higher level, where God will ask us, amen, there's, there's never a blessing that comes from God without God adding a little bit of responsibility on. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, we got to call it the R word in this generation, responsibility. Amen. God wants to bless us. That's absolutely true. And if anybody doesn't believe that, you need to go back and read your Bible. God really is interested in blessing his people. He blessed Abraham. He blessed Isaac. He blessed Jacob. He blessed all of the nation of Israel. Amen. He is looking to bless us. He has given us everything that we need here in this life, everything that is pertaining unto life and godliness. But he's also got a calling. And that calling is to go unto glory and to virtue. We have been called to a higher level. And this calling has come as a direct result of the things that God has added into our lives. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but we may not make it there tonight anyways. But the Bible talks about those that lack the very things we're going to talk about here tonight. They are blind. And I know I've been in church long enough, and I understand how it works. Often when there is a teaching or there is a preaching, there's something going on in our brains, and it's, I wonder who this is for. And often you you can think back in your brain, and you can say, well, so-and-so struggling with that. And it is very easy to push it off on everybody else. But, but I want you to know I'm talking to you here today. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to me. Amen. If you are lacking these things, I, I want you to know there's a blindness that comes with that. And it is, it, it, there is a blindness that does come into the church. And it's a blindness that, that cannot see the very things that we're going to be talking about here tonight. And this blindness will... That the Bible says they can't see afar off. They've been blind and they can't see afar off. It, it, is, it is a lack of perception, a lack of ability to, uh, to garner and to understand that this is something that is very important. And often in church, we, we've come to this position where we, we look at everything in the Bible and we come to the place where we, if we're not careful, we'll start saying, I know that. You know, there's a few people you can't help in life, and one of those people is the know-it-all. Hallelujah. Maybe we'll talk about that another time. The know-it-all. you got to be careful of the know-it-all. Don't be the know-it-all. Oh, I've heard it all. I've experienced it all. I've seen it all. You can't help somebody that, that thinks they know everything. Amen. When, when you are a person that is not given over to the culture of addition, you, you, will, you will be the kind of person that says, I, I already know that. I don't need to be added to. Uh, I don't need God to increase me in any way. I've already figured it out. I've already attained. I've already arrived. Amen. Does anybody got a halo over their head here tonight? Amen. Just checking. Amen. Maybe, maybe just one person here has a halo over their head. Nobody in this building's arrived yet. From right here to where you're sitting, nobody has arrived. And the sooner that we understand, we don't know it all. The sooner we can take the word that God is bringing to us and we can start saying, God, how do you want to apply this to my life? God is looking to give us and add to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But if we are not willing to receive those things, amen, that that, that is not God's fault. Amen. And so one of the things that I I really strive for, and I, I believe that as a pastor it is my responsibility and in this last, in this next little while, we're going to talk about culture, culture-based things, and and developing a culture in the church that is very biblical. And last week we talked about the culture of the kingdom, and we talked about that leaven that when the kingdom shows up in your life, it starts to take over every area of your life. That culture, it it is not just relegated to Sundays, Wednesdays, Amen. That culture should be with you seven days a week. 
Amen. 24-7, 365. Amen. That culture should be with you everywhere. But once that culture has expanded through your life and it has permeated into every area of your life, then God can place that individual that is full of the kingdom culture and God can place you on a job, on a campus. God can start putting you in places of authority of influence amen and god can know that that very culture he's put in you won't stay in you it's going to start to affect your neighborhood it's going to start to affect your job come on somebody i want you to know we got an expanding kingdom we got an ever increasing kingdom this kingdom is is not just going to stay just in its little box but this kingdom will go everywhere and everything it touches and everybody said amen but in that culture uh, we, we know that that's what the culture does, but we're going to define what we mean when we say culture, uh, the culture of the kingdom or kingdom culture. And we're going to talk about a few cultures that I, I really believe that God wants to place here in this local assembly. And I do believe that these cultures, if we will embrace them, if we will open our eyes and say, God, yes, that's what I need. Amen. That God will start blessing us and God will add to us. And one of those cultures is a culture of addition. Where we, we come to church and we don't have the know-it-all spirit. We come to church with the mentality that says, I might know a lot, but I want to know more. The culture of addition says, I may have acquired a lot. God may have given a lot. God might have added a lot. But I want God to keep adding more and more and more. Amen. The kingdom of God is like an onion. It's got layers. God is wanting to add layer upon layer. The Bible talks about line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of addition. And as people of God, we've got to be willing to let God add to our lives every service, every week, every day, every month, every year. We've got to say, Lord, add unto your church. Amen. Hallelujah. And so the Bible says he has given to us everything we need for addition. Everything that you need for the addition in your life, everything you need in your walk with God, everything you need in godliness, amen, God has supplied that. God has given you, amen, you don't got to go take a loan out from a spiritual bank to try to afford all the things, amen, that it would take to become the Christian God has called you to be. God says, I've already provided it. I've already supplied it. I've already paid the price. All you've got to do is be willing to let me add this into your life. And God says, I've called you unto virtue. But when God calls, he supplies. And God will also encourage. God will also give us, amen, some level of encouragement and something to strive for, something to reach for. That's why the Bible continues to say, and we're going to be staying here here tonight. Uh, for most of the night, we're going to be staying in Second Peter chapter one. We're gonna we're gonna actually take a moment. We're gonna exegete. We're gonna break down this this text a little in depth here tonight, Amen. But but it is here that he says that God's given us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. He called us unto glory and virtue. But then he proceeds to tell us that God again has added to us or given to us exceeding great and precious promises. I want you to know God's given you everything you need to make it in life. God's given you everything you need to live for him and to be godly. God has called you up higher to glory and virtue. And then God adds even further to us exceeding great and precious promises. I want you to know all the promises the Bible says in God are in him yes and in him amen. God looks down on you and I, and God starts, amen, he starts giving us everything we need in life and godliness. He calls us up higher, but then he starts giving each person a promise. And he starts putting promises. And these aren't just promises, you know, that he's going to take out the trash. He's just going to do this, that, and the other, and forgive your sins. He already, he already promised that. But God's going to start putting promises in your life that you can strive for. He's going to put such exceeding great and precious promises. Precious, those, are, those, those are, are, are very powerful words. These are exceeding great. It's using adjectives. It's trying, to, it's trying to build up these promises. They're not just, you know, promises and false promises and broken promises. But these are exceeding great and precious promises. These are invaluable promises. These promises are just like what Paul told Timothy when he says that you should war a good warfare according to the prophecies or the promises that were placed on your life. 
Every individual, see, there, there is a religious ideology, amen, and, and it, is, it is an ideology that all God has is a written word, amen, and, and I want you to know that we do have a written word. It's right here, amen, in case anybody forgot their Bible. We have a written word. We do. We have the logos. We have the logic. We have the knowledge. We have, we have that, that, that written down, written in stone, written in the fleshly tablets of our heart kind of word. But I also want you to know there's another word from God, and that's a rhema word. That's a spoken word. That is a word that is in a fit time, in a fit season. And there's people that can be going through all sorts of trouble and trial and tribulation. Amen. And you, you, you can look into the Word of God and you can be encouraged. But every so often you can hit your knees and pray and God can give, begin to give you a spoken word. And it is that spoken word that pushes you forward another day. It is that spoken word often that will continue to help you to press to the next level. Oh, somebody lift up your hands and thank you if God's ever spoken a precious promise in your life. Hallelujah. Come on, for just one second, why don't you thank him for every prophecy, every promise. These are exceeding great. These are precious. Don't throw them away. Don't, don't let them go. Amen. God has added to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, just like Timothy, according to the prophecies, according to the promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, that very divine nature and divine power that gave us all things we need. God is saying, I, I'm adding this to you, and again, I'm doing this so that you can strive for another level. I'm calling you up a little higher. And then it proceeds to let us know that, that it is in that pursuit of the divine nature that we escape the corruption that's in the world through this thing called lust. Amen. There is corruption in the world, but if we are in pursuit of more, if we are in a kingdom culture of addition, we want more of God, not more of the world. Amen. I said we want more of God and not more of the world. We're not looking for the corruption that's in the world. We're looking to escape the corruption that's in the world. We don't want more of, of carnality. Amen. We don't want more of this old dirty flesh. We want to take every precious promise God has given to us. Amen. They weren't given in vain, but those things were given that we might go full-hearted and, 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 and completely running after God's divine nature. We want more God. Does anybody want more of God here tonight? Amen. So the Bible says that as we go through this, we're going to continue on giving all diligence. I want to talk about that for just a moment. Beside all this, what we just mentioned, God gave you promises. God gave you everything. He's added to you. He's added to you. He's called you up higher. And when we, when we look next to this, he says giving all diligence that word diligence means speed it means to be earnest to make haste he's saying you gotta hurry up he's saying this this stuff we just talked about going after his divine nature that god's divine power all these great things about god that god's calling you to another level he's saying next to all this stuff we're talking about in 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 conjunction with what we're talking about he's saying you got to hurry up you got to give all diligence you got to be focused you got to be the kind of individual that is making haste to do what he says giving all diligence to add that word add means to furnish it means to fully supply it means to contribute it means to minister amen and i hope everybody understands what the word add means uh, he's saying you've got to hurry up you've got with with all of that in mind all those precious promises all those great things as people of god we've got to make haste we've got to hurry up we're in a race we've got to run our fastest so that we can furnish ourselves with with the things we're going to talk about here tonight. It, this isn't something where you can just go at your own pace and, and I'll get there when I feel like it. This is something that the apostle is telling us. You've got to run after this as fast as you possibly can. Amen. Can I tell you, in, in a culture of addition, this isn't something you take your time with. It's not something you ease into. When we talk about the culture of addition, he's saying you've got to be diligent. You've got to speed up. You've got to hurry up. You've got to be earnest, and you've got to be intentional, amen, about adding and furnishing and supplying your life with these things. 
Amen. As a believer, amen, I, I would encourage anybody that's just been baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, to hurry up. You know, I, I know that it's almost contrary. We want to tell people, take your time. That's how this world is. Take your time. And there's some things you're going to have to take your time with. But as far as being a fully functional believer, we cannot take our time. Amen. I'll say that again. As far as being a fully functional believer, we don't have time to waste, folks. I, I, I know that this is almost like uh, it, it's a weird, uh, I would say, uh, almost a, uh, a superstition in Pentecost that people need to take 30 years to, to be a true Christian. I don't find that in my Bible. I find people that were prayed through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost, baptized in His name, amen, they were full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. They were washing tables immediately. They were serving. Amen. I, I want you to know that we are not too far off from God to start adding to the church daily such as should be saved. And I want you to know about this culture of addition. It's not, we're not going to wait 30 years. Amen. You're going to see people coming to the church, and all of a sudden, you're going to say, well, you can be a preacher in 40 years. That We don't have time to waste. God's coming back. Amen. I, I didn't come to preach, but I might as well for a moment. We don't have time to waste, so make haste. Hurry up. Become the man and the woman that God is calling you to be so we can reach our city, so we can reach our nation, so we can reach our world. Oh, somebody clap your hands and give God some praise. Hallelujah. Folks, we don't have time to waste. Amen. This world is, is on its way into eternity. We don't have time for people to wait 40 years to all of a sudden become this perfect Christian. Amen. Before they do something for God. We need people, amen, that are willing to just stand up and say, Lord, I will make haste. I will be diligent. I will speed up so that I can be part of this culture of addition. And God, as fast as you want, add it to me. Amen. My pastor always tells this story that he got saved at 30 years old, ex-heavy metal rocker. Amen. Comes out of drugs and all sorts of different things. And he came, amen, in, 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 in leather and, and go-go boots and absolutely crazy with hair down his back. And he shows up to, to Apostolic Church, Brother uh, Bishop Wilson's church down there in Sacramento. And he showed up, amen, looking absolutely crazy. And there was a bunch of other guys that were just, just waiting for their opportunity to become a preacher. They were just sitting on that pew, not doing anything. Not winning souls, not they were just sitting there and, and he tells this story that they were all sitting around and postulating the meaning of the kingdom of God and the universe and, and they had all these great theological ideas. Amen. And he showed up and was so radically transformed and radically changed. He got on his knees, started praying, opened up this book, started reading it, and immediately started enacting what he saw in the Word of God. Went out, started winning people, teaching Bible studies, and and, and all these people saw this crazy man, amen, that was crazy for the world, crazy for rock, crazy for drugs, amen, all of a sudden be crazy for God, and, 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 and this guy, amen, these, these other guys have been sitting on the pew for 20, 30 years, and they weren't doing nothing, and they were waiting for their opportunity, you can't wait for your opportunity, you got to make your opportunity, that's good teaching right there, you can't wait for a good opportunity, it may never show up, you got to be the individual that says, God, if you're calling me, I'll make an opportunity, hallelujah, Amen. His pastor preached the same thing that my pastor preached. If you want to preach behind the pulpit, go get a Bible study. Amen. And so he started teaching Bible studies, knocking doors, and it wasn't but a few years. He was in that church for about five years, and God took this old heavy metal rocker, sent him evangelizing, and now he's been pastoring for 25 years. And he tells this story that all those guys watched as this guy came speeding through at 90 miles an hour through the church. And they just sat and watched as all of a sudden God started using him because somewhere in their head they thought, this is going to take forever. i got to wait here forever. Amen. Can I tell you, God's going to start bringing people into this church, and all of a sudden you're going to see God start saving them, redeeming them, regenerating them, and God's going to start sending them out. Oh, somebody clap your hands and give them praise. Hallelujah. But all of that is said is these other guys, they were, they were, they were not making haste. Amen. They were just sitting back, kicking back. Amen. They were not making haste to furnish themselves. The Bible talks about a man of God's got to be fully furnished. Amen. You've got to be a minister of addition. Hallelujah. And so we get into this context. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11 and 6. He says, giving all diligence or making haste, hurry up, speed up. 
add to your faith. So faith is the starting point. Hebrews 11 and 6, if we can pull that up. That with, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The very first starting point for anybody that comes to God is faith. You start at faith. Amen. But contrary to the popular charismatic religious world, you don't stop at faith. Faith is not enough. I know people that will pray over mountains. Move it, move it, move it, move it, move it. And they stay at faith. But I can, can I tell somebody, there's a flip side to faith. If that mountain doesn't move, get your gear out and start climbing. Oh, hallelujah. If that mountain doesn't move, you get your climbing gear out and you say, hey, if this is not going to work, I'm going to climb over this mountain because I don't have time to waste. Oh, somebody clap your hands and give God praise. Faith, which means a persuasion, a credence, or a set of beliefs, a moral conviction. Ultimately, when we talk about faith or the faith, we are talking about our reliance on Jesus Christ, especially for our salvation. So if we're talking about our salvation without faith, it's impossible to please Him. But also, if we're talking about our reliance on God, you have to have faith. That is the base and the starting point for everybody else. And that is where most people want to stay. I'm relying on God to pay my bills, to do X, Y, and Z. Amen. And they stay at the baseline called faith. But the preacher said, you got to make haste to be an addition. you got to make haste to add to your faith. The very next thing he said was virtue. 1 Peter chapter 2 and 9. We're going to turn open to that. That word virtue, it comes from, uh, it comes from the word valor or honor. It comes from this word I talked about a lot. Excellence. Add to your faith excellence. It's also where we get the word praise or praiseworthy. That's why the Bible says in 1 Peter 2 and 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. And when you understand what you are and who you are, there is a purpose. And this purpose is that you should show forth the praises. That's the same word that we get for virtue. You should show forth the virtue of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. It's not enough to just have faith. You've got to show forth something in your life that is praiseworthy, something that is excellent, something that when people see your life, they should begin to glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Amen. You can't just have faith. You've got to exemplify excellence. Somebody lift up your hands and magnify him. Oh, come on, let's worship him. We're a culture of addition, folks. We are adding to our faith. We are adding to our faith here tonight. Amen. After faith comes a life that exemplify, exemplifies or praises God for what he has done. Every area of our life, it should be something that is, uh, the apostle would talk about, you know, thinking on these things, anything that is praiseworthy, amen, anything that, if there be any virtue, amen, you, you've got to have that virtue in your life, you've got to have something, if people look at your life and you say, preacher, I got faith, but they look at you and, and, and they can't tell a difference between you and the guy at the bar, we've got a problem. If, if they can't tell a distinction and a difference between you, amen, and the person that's injecting drugs down the street, I want you to know there's, there's, there's that next level to your faith that you believe in God, but now it's starting to exemplify things that are praiseworthy, things that people will say, amen, this is why I don't believe that when you come to Jesus, you should look the way you look when you first showed up. Amen, this is one of the main reasons, because people should be able to see a noticeable difference hallelujah people should be able to see the difference people should be able to feel the difference people should be able to hear the difference this is why when you come to God you stop using words that don't glorify God hallelujah we don't cuss as Christians amen I know that might be revelatory for somebody you know why there's no virtue in that Amen. so after faith comes things that exemplify and praise God for what's he what he's done Amen. After faith, we should strive to become a virtuous individual. 
Proverbs 31 is well known, talking about the virtuous woman. And it simply says, a virtuous woman, who can find it? Amen. I want you to know, virtuous people are hard to find, men or women. It is difficult to find people. If you look at in the world, people that have gone to that next level of excellence, that next level of, 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 of something that is praiseworthy. You know, honor is something that's missing in our culture. There were previous cultures that, that, that were, were are part of what we would call an honor culture. And I don't want to get off on this, but there's a whole, there's the honor culture. And the honor culture was, if you destroy my honor, I, I shouldn't live. This is often what we would see inside of uh, ancient Japanese culture. They were the honor culture. They would rather die than dishonor. They would rather, that's why there was, and I don't want to get into all that. We'll talk about it another time. But, but, but it was death before dishonor. And, and then somebody realized that that's not the best way to live. And then there became something known as the dignity culture. And the dignity culture was, well, you can offend my honor, but at least I have my dignity. I still have dignity. You can, you know, you can make fun of me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I still have my dignity. Uh, but now we're living in a generation that's completely different. I'll preach about this another time. But it's what we call the victim culture. Amen. And, and now people are, are receiving the most benefit for how much of a victim they are. So you go down the list, well, I've got this wrong with me, that wrong with me, that wrong with me, and whoever can tally up the most reasons they're a victim is the one that wins in this culture. That's not praiseworthy. You're not a victim. Hallelujah. You're a victor in Jesus. Somebody clap your hands and give him praise. You can't have faith. You can't just have faith. You've got to be a part of the culture of addition. You've got to add to your faith an honorable, excellent, valiant, praiseworthy spirit and life because God's given you the ability. Next, we're going to go into knowledge. Knowledge is, is, is from the Greek word gnosis. This is where we get the ideology of the Gnostics. And, and that's another, another story for another time that we can talk about. Uh, it's definitely not a, a doctrine that we aspire in the Bible. But, uh, but specifically when we talk about this type of knowledge, it is the knowledge of spiritual mysteries. It is what we would consider revelation. It's experiential or revelatory knowledge about God, the things of God, the kingdom of God. Uh, and in fact, this would go back to when God says to, uh, he, he tells a parable that one day he will look on people and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Uh, this word new is, is an intimate no. It is, it is the same way where we get the context. And, 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 and though it's, it's, it would mean a little bit like this in, in the ancient text, uh, that it would be like Adam knew his wife and she bare a son. There was an intimate knowing that the two became one. Amen. There's a lot more that we could talk about there. But in that knowledge, it's people that have unified themselves with God. They have, they have come to an experiential, a revelatory knowledge of God. It's not just enough to have faith, and it's not just enough to, amen, have, have just a, a little bit of a virtuous, excellent attitude and, and a valiant attitude, but there's an addition to that, and it is a knowledge. It is a specific knowledge of spiritual mystery. We've got to go beyond. Amen. This is what Paul is talking about, and we talk about it for many weeks, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. He's saying we've got to get beyond just faith and just virtue, but we've got to move on into revelation. We've got to move on into knowledge. We've got to get a deeper understanding of God. Does anybody want to know more about God? Is anybody, everybody, all right, I hope everybody, that's why we're here today. We're here because we want to know more about God. You know how many people that they don't really want to know more about God? They, they think that ignorance is bliss. He, Hosea chapter 4 and 6, ignorance is not bliss. The Bible says my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And because you rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. This is a very, very strong passage of Scripture but the rejection of this knowledge of God is to reject God himself. People that the Bible says that had not a love for the truth, they were given a strong delusion. I want you to know that we are the kind of people that said, God, keep giving me more. 
We're a culture of addition that says God keeps speaking to us, keep teaching us, keep telling us. Amen. And when I talk about spiritual mysteries about God, I'm not talking about something that you got this weird idea in your head and it's nowhere in the Bible. That's not what we're talking about. The Bible says that Jesus looked at his disciples and he opened their understanding that they might understand what? The scriptures. When we talk about spiritual mysteries, Paul would say, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We'll be together with him. We'll meet in the clouds. That's the kind of mysteries, amen, that I'm talking about, the kind of things you can find in the Word of God where he can open up the Scriptures. And, amen, can I put a plug here for knowledge? Amen. Don't be the kind of individual that says, I'd be better off not knowing the Word of God. Amen. That, that, there's some folks that think, well, if I'm ignorant, God will save me. The Bible says that at the time of ignorance, God winked at it. But now causes men everywhere to repent. Ignorance is not a solution. If you're going to be saved, if you're going to be a Christian, you cannot be ignorant of the Word of God. Hallelujah. Everybody in this building ought to grab their Bibles. And if all you do is open it up every single day and just read one chapter a day, you'll be going a lot further, amen, in God. You know why? Because you got the culture of addition saying, God, I want to know more. Hallelujah. Clap your hands and give God praise. Second Peter chapter 3 and 18. We're moving along here. I don't want to keep everybody here tonight that late. The Bible says, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Faith, virtue, knowledge. Make haste. Hurry up. Don't wait, amen, for the preacher to get up and cook you a steak on Sunday. Make yourself a sandwich. Hallelujah. Somebody praise him. Amen. Temperance. Let's talk about this for a little bit. First Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25. When we talk about temperance, amen, we can, we can notice the root word, temper. <laughs> we got some folks with temper in the building. Amen. But we've got to also do what, 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 what they would do to metals. They would temper it. What they do to chocolate, they temper it so that it, it, it doesn't crack as easy. Amen. Uh, you, you, you've got you've to have temperance so you don't crack on everybody. You don't burst on everybody. Well, that's just my personality. I just, I just snap on everybody. I just, I'm sorry. I'm a little sharp. Well, go home, get you a hammer, start breaking those hard edges off because that is not of God. Hallelujah. Somebody said amen. 1 Corinthians 9 and 25, temperance. We talk about that. We're talking about self-control. We're talking about restraint. We're talking about, amen, breaking off some of those rough edges. Amen, everybody's got rough edges, but that is no excuse to keep them. Well, that's just my personality. Well, if you're just a mean old person, whatever the case may be, mean young person, uh, and you accept that, shame on you. I wish I had a few more amens. Shame on you. If you accept any personal flaws as permanent, God did not create you, amen, to stay a flawed creature. Amen. When you're on the potter's wheel and you're flawed and you're marred, he makes you again. He remolds you. He reshapes you. And then he puts you in the fire and he tempers you. 1 Corinthians 9 and 25, and every man that striveth for the mastery or to be a master of something is temperate. In all things, they are balanced. They are in control. They show restraint. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. And later it's talking about we were born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God. But this is in regards to an athlete that is going for a medal. They they are they are striving for the they are striving for the gold medal. They are striving to achieve. Amen. And and he's saying they do this that they might achieve a corruptible medal. But we are running this race. Can I tell you? Make haste. Hurry up. We're in a race. Amen. We've got to speed up. Amen. And and as we run this race, we're not doing it for something that's going to fall apart and die. This is not for a corruptible crown. This is not for a corruptible medal. This is for something that is incorruptible, that is reserved in heaven for us. But these individuals, any athlete, you talk to them, amen, uh, anybody who's, who's, who's trying to be a bodybuilder or whatever the case may be, and, and you ask them, when's the last time you had ice cream? They can't tell you because they're showing restraint. I mean, it's that very example he's giving, that if you're striving for mastery, if you're trying to be the best of the best, if you're trying to be the top of your game, if you're trying to be the very best Christian that you can be, you've got to be somebody that shows restraint and shows self-control. And somebody said amen. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to continue on with this. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I want you to notice what this is following. This is immediately following the works of the flesh. What are the works of the flesh? My flesh wants it, therefore my flesh does it. Paul would say, I find a law of my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity. It is a fight against the carnal nature. It's a back and forth. I want to do good, but evil's present with me. Amen. It's this continual fighting amen, that is happening. But here he's, he's saying that, that, that the fruit of the Spirit, he includes temperance. He concludes restraint. What is a work of the flesh? It's nothing more than reviling, drunkenness, amen, adulteries, fornications. It goes down this long, long list of things. And what are those things? They are everything that is in your human nature and at the worst of your flesh. And it is things that are without restraint. There is no temperance. Well, I just, I just went off on my boss and I cussed him out. That was not a fruit of the Spirit. That was a work of the flesh. Amen. And as Christians, we've got to be people that are adding to our faith, virtue, and in virtue, knowledge, and knowledge, temperance. Amen. We've got to be people that are temperate in all things. We show restraint. Amen. I know you want to, I know maybe you got cut off in traffic and there's some things that you want to do, but you got to show restraint because you're trying to be a Christian. Amen. I know there's times where people are, are, are lying about you and they're saying all sorts of crazy things and you want to fight fire with fire. And if, if they pluck out an eye, you want to, an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth, but as a Christian, you've got to turn the other cheek. You've got to show restraint. They might be showing force. They might be brutalizing your name and brutalizing you for no reason. Amen. But you've got to be the kind of person that takes it on this cheek, but has enough temperance because you've already added to your faith that you turn the other cheek. You don't revile again as Jesus was. You don't open your mouth when they're lying about you, spitting on you. You just keep your mouth shut. You go to the cross and you do the will of God. Somebody lift up your hands and magnify him. Come on, folks. We're a culture of addition. I know it doesn't always sound easy, but I'm telling you, being a Christian, amen, it's, 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 it's something that takes addition. Oh, come on. Let's pray for just a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In conjunction with that, let's talk about patience. Somebody said patience. Jesus said, in patience, possess ye your souls. Amen. If you don't possess your soul through patience, I mean, you're going to lose your soul. You've got to be a patient individual. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. Amen. I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. Amen. We'll do Bible drills until you find out where the verses are. It's a great opportunity. Amen. And you can bring a pen with you, mark your Bible up. It'll help you remember. Amen. So we talk about patience. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, for you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. How many remembers? We were given exceeding great and precious promises. But to obtain those promises, you've got to add to your faith patience. Hallelujah. Patience means a cheerful or a hopeful endurance. The ability to wait. I want you to get this. Ready? The ability to wait with a good attitude. Everybody say that, with a good attitude. All right. With a good attitude. How many here has thought about patience in that light? It's cheerful. I've heard a lot of people that have said, God, give me patience and give it to me now. That's a terrible prayer because it's not going to happen. Patience takes endurance. Patience takes endurance. But can I tell you, being saved takes endurance too. He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. If you're going to be saved, you've got to be part of the culture of addition. And you've got to add to your faith all the way up. You've got to get to patience. Amen. How many has looked at their recent experiences of life and said, I'm excited, I'm joyful to not have what I promised? Amen. What God promised me. I don't have it. I've not seen it. How many is excited about the fact that we're not in a building yet? Nothing but crickets here. How many is cheerful? How many is hopeful? That's true biblical patience. True biblical patience 
is hopeful. It is cheerful. And while I am waiting, amen, I know Brother Buxton used to say this, until the next door opens, I'm going to shout in the hallway. Come on, church, you were all taught that for a long time. Amen. What is that? That is, that is called patience. That is called cheerfulness. That is called hopeful endurance. There's some folks, you've been waiting on God to answer prayers for a long time. You've got to have biblical patience. You've got to be cheerful. You've got to have hopeful endurance. Shout in the hallway. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. Hallelujah. It is a requirement. You've got to have patience. Let me just say this in, in conjunction with temperance. Well, I just got a problem with everybody. You know what? If you've got a problem with everybody, you're probably the problem with everybody. Hallelujah. Everybody say he's teaching real good right now. If everybody else is the one with the problem, you're probably the problem. We always think it's everybody else. Every, if everybody's out to get you, you've got an issue. It's called paranoia because they're probably not thinking about you. Amen. And if anything, hopefully they're praying for you. But he said, you got need of patience. I know that there's rough edges on everybody, but that's what we talk about temperance. Have restraint. Amen. Have patience on other people. Uh, not everybody will be as fast as you. Not everybody will be as far along as you. Amen. This takes work for everybody. From me, I've got to be very patient. I've got to work on it. The Bible talks about the man of God's got to be patient, apt to teach, instructing those that oppose themselves. Did you know you can be in opposition to the very things that God wants to do in your life? Amen. And as a preacher, it's so hard sometimes to see what God wants to do in somebody's life. And they are so blind, they don't even know what God wants to do in their life. And you, you've got to try to encourage them and tell them. And sometimes you've got to rebuke them. And you've got to try to yank them along, push from behind. You've got to, whatever you've got to do. But it takes patience. And that is a cheerful and a hopeful endurance that one day they're going to get to the promise. One day they're going to receive that promise. Amen. We're turning our Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Talking about patience. Amen. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. When's the last, when's the last time somebody shouted about a trial? That takes some serious Christianity right there. When's the last time you shouted because your tire popped? Amen. Amen. When the last time you shouted that, that all of a sudden, you, you know, that, that didn't work out and that didn't work out. Amen. It, 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 he's saying to the church, we also glory in tribulations also, in trials and troubles, knowing this. See, there's, again, we've added to our faith virtue and a virtue knowledge. There's that knowledge word, okay? You've got to have knowledge. You've got to have revelation. People that lack revelation, people that lack knowledge, they'll go through a trial and they think God's mad at them. God's not mad at you. Amen. But this verse right here, if you don't get anything out of what I'm teaching here today, the Bible says, knowing that tribulation worketh, come on, tribulation worketh, and patience works experience, and experience brings us to that next level, which is Hope And hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. Amen. Can I tell somebody that it is through trials, it is through fire, it is through tribulation that God is forming patience in your life. God, give me patience and give it to me now. I'll tell you, if you pray that prayer, get ready for a trial. But when you go through that trial, glory in that trial. Praise God in that trial. Thank Him for that trial. Why? Because you're part of the culture of addition and God's adding to your faith and God's adding to your life and God's adding to your walk. Oh, somebody clap your hands and give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Come on, let's praise him for a moment. Let's praise him for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for every trial. Thank you for every tribulation because it's working something good in me. It's adding something good in me. It's adding faith. It's adding virtue. It's adding knowledge. It's adding patience. The recipe for patience is added, and it's, it, it is added to your life by cheerfully going through, glorying in tribulations. You know, sometimes things are only added to your life through struggle. Amen. In fact, Paul would put it this way. We talk about the God of addition and the kingdom or the culture of addition. Paul says that there was given to me 
Amen. A thorn in the flesh to the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Why? For the abundance of revelations. In other words, lest I be lifted up with pride. God had to add something he didn't like to keep him humble. Sometimes God is keeping us safe, folks. And, and, and not everybody understands that, but when you add to your faith virtue and a virtue that knowledge and you get that revelation that God's not trying to hurt me, God's trying to help me, God's trying to bless me, God's trying to keep me saved. Paul tried and he prayed about it to go away three times, but after that third time God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you that in your weakness then am I strong. It was at that moment Paul said, thank you for the struggle, thank you for the thorn, thank you for the trouble, it's doing something good in in me the cheerfulness and the joy comes as a result because you've already added the knowledge that God works all things together for your good when you already had that revelation about God when a child of God truly is added to their faith virtue and the virtue knowledge they got that knowledge and that revelation amen they're not worried about every trial oh the tire popped again yeah, okay, the, the lights went out again. All right. Now, if the lights went out because you didn't pay the bill, you need to pray. Amen. That's, that's not faith. That's called work. Amen. Hallelujah. But, but, you know, this broke and that happened and this went down. But you understand that there's things that come in life that God is producing something good in you. And everybody said amen. Hallelujah. We're going to finish with this one, and we'll come back next week for the rest. Amen. But, but let's talk about godliness. Everybody say godliness. Godliness means holiness. Piety, separation, Titus chapter 2 and verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We've got to be people that are in the midst just like Lot, just like Noah, that we might be living in an ungodly generation. It's full of lust. It's full of problems. It's full of issues. Amen. But we should live soberly. We should live righteously. We should live godly. We've got to be holy in an unholy world. It seems like a paradox. How do you stay clean in an unclean world? How do you stay holy in an unholy world? I'll tell you. I'll give you the answer. Hey, it's called the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. you got to be full of faith, and you got to be full of the Holy Ghost. So somebody lift up your hands for just a moment and let's magnify him hallelujah 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 oh come on let's pray for just a moment you got to be willing to have the culture of addition. God, I want more. God, I want more. I, I, I need to have more revelation. I need to have more knowledge. i got to have more virtue. I've got to have more faith. Lord, I've got to have more patience, Lord. I've got to have more godliness, more holiness, more piety. I'm living in a wicked generation, in a wicked world. We don't need, we don't need more of the world. We need more of God. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. You've got to beware. The Bible actually says to turn away from people like that. And again, this is not talking about people that are sinners. Amen. We're going to talk about that when we get to the cult. We're talking about culture. Amen. We're going to talk about how to treat sinners. We love sinners. Amen. Uh, but we're also going to talk about how to, how, how to treat a brother that has gone astray. We're going to talk about that. Amen. We're going to, we're going to talk about some of those things. But, but, but you've got to beware of people that have the form of godliness. They look all godly, but they lack the filling of godliness. They've got the outside, but no inside. They've got, they've got the appearance, but they don't have the substance. We can't be a church just of appearance, but we've got to be a church full of substance. Man, I, I'm telling you, we don't. the world does not need another shallow Pentecostal church. It needs a deep, loving, thriving, godly church. You've got to beware of people that look the part but aren't really living the part. you got to, you know, they talk about denying the power, uh, the, the power there. What is the power of godliness? It's by actually being godly. The real power, they deny the power because they, they, they have the appearance that they look good before men or they look good at church. And, and, and this is why it's so important. Again, adding to your faith. You've got to add godliness. Godliness isn't something you just do on Sunday. Godliness is something that we live Monday 
all the way to Monday. Amen. It's something that we've already added to our faith. Preach, you don't got to worry about me. Amen. I'm going to be all right because I've already added godliness to my life. I want to have the power of God in my life. Hallelujah. So the real power, amen, in, in godliness is actually being godly. The true power of a Christian is not in their ability to look like a Christian, sound like a Christian. It's the ability to actually be a Christian. Hallelujah. Let's lift up our hands. Let's stand all across the building. Hallelujah. Come on. We, we've got a culture of addition. We've got a culture of addition. God, add to my faith. Add to my virtue. Add to my knowledge. Add to my temperance. Add to the patience, Lord. I pray add to the godliness in my life, God. I want to have more of you. Oh, come on, let's lift up our hands and let's pray. If you're sincere with God and say, I want more, he's got more to add to you. He's got more to add to you. He's not looking to subtract from you. He's not looking to take from you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, let's pray all across the building. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray. God is wanting there to be an addition in your life. God is not looking to subtract from you, to take from you. God is wanting to add to the church. God is wanting to add to your faith. God is wanting to take you to another level. He said, I got great and precious promises for you, but it starts by adding these things to your life. Oh, let's lift up our hands and let's pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There are people here today, you are in it. Every person is in a different stage. And, and, and let, let's be real. Everybody goes through seasons. Everybody does. And those seasons will change. I just want you to know, seasons change. They do. But in those seasons, God is trying to teach us something. Amen. And if we will open our eyes... And ask the question, God, what are you trying to add to me through this? I promise you'll get a revelation. And you'll start to see maybe, maybe you keep cycling through the same struggle because God is trying to add something. Maybe he is trying to add patience. I mean, maybe God is saying, you know what? You're going through that trial, but you've got a frown on your face. Come on, somebody. You're going through that, but you're not happy about it. And you have every right to not be happy about it. But we're not talking about the world. We're talking about the church. He's saying, be cheerful. Because you know at the end of this all, God is working experience. He's working hope. He's making something good in your life. I want to open up this altar. Whatever season of life you're in, amen, no matter what stage you're in, I want you to know from the pulpit to the pew, you might cycle back to faith and say, God, I, I, I might have gone to faith. You don't ever stop this cycle. You go back from faith to virtue and virtue, knowledge and knowledge, temperance and temperance, patience and patience, godliness. It just cycles through your life because God is trying to add to you. We're in a culture of addition, folks. We're in a culture of addition. Pray right now, God, add to me. Add to my faith, add to my virtue, add to my knowledge, add to the temperance, add to the patience, add to, add to the godliness, Lord. Come on. I believe God's doing it right now for somebody. Come on, it's in moments like this. There can really truly be a holy moment. A holy moment where God is truly adding to your faith. God is starting to increase you as a Christian. He wants to increase your influence. But first you've got to let God increase his influence in your life. Amen. Add to your faith. Add to your faith. Add to your faith. Come on, that's it, church. Let's have a prayer meeting right now. Add to me, Lord. Add to me, Lord.